If you are listening to this, you have tuned in to the Do Big Things podcast, episode number 104. How are you guys? Everything good? Did you get that thing taken care of? How's the family? How's the training? You got big goals lined up for the future? I know I do. I hope this all I hope this finds you all happy and healthy. I'm back from another camping trip where this could have been the last time this year that we're sitting around a campfire up in the mountains. I did some mountain biking and I'm feeling great. I hope you guys are too. Got another dope episode right here for you guys. Emily Keddy is someone I've wanted to have on the show for a while. I think I hit her up once and it fell through, but I am one of those guys that doesn't stress out too much when something falls through because maybe it just wasn't meant to happen at that particular time. Well, Emily just completed the Moab 240, and I thought what a great time this would be to reach back out to her, see if we can make it happen. Luckily for us, it happened. Anyone who runs 240 miles is bound to come away with some obscure stories of struggle and elation, and Emily certainly doesn't disappoint. She finished 10th place female, and I absolutely love this conversation. I think you guys are going to dig it too. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing. Do you need coaching, crewing, pacing? We can help. Look us up, big-things-crewing.com. This podcast is also brought to you by On Pace Wellness, Athletic Brewing, and Exoskin. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'm going to get you guys some stellar discount codes on products or services that are just going to enhance your training and running. Let's just jump right in. Put your hands together for the Moab 240 finisher, Emily Ketty. Yeah, baby. This is the Do Big Things Podcast, where we want to inspire you to do big things. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, a service for ultra runners from beginner to elite. Not only can we get you trained up, but we can also crew you into the finish line. Find us at big-things-crewing.com. Now, here is your host, Adam McRoberts. All right, so Moab 240 just happened, and uh, I am obsessed with all things 200 miles, uh, obsessed <laughs> with the Moab, Cocodona, all 200-mile races. I'm really interested in it, and yeah. you just finished Moab 240, and you were the 10th place women, it looks like, but yeah. um, give us an intro. Tell us who you are. <laughs> cool. Um so, so my name is Emily Ketty, and I live in Bend, Oregon. Um, I'm originally from the East Coast, um, Lake Placid, New York, and born in Buffalo. Um, but I've been out here in Bend almost four years. So, cool. um, yeah, just and and I spend most of my time out here trail running and recreating. Um, you know, just kind of uh, working to working to live. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just and really enjoying it. Um, I, I moved out here about a year after I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail 
and yeah. just kind of seeking a, a new adventure. And one of my friends got me into ultra running. She asked if, you know, if I want to do a 50 K and I tried it and I liked it and it just kind of took off. That was about three years ago. So I haven't been doing it that long, but, um, I figured while I can, and while I really love it, let's just put everything in it. And I, I try to treat it like it's a full-time job pretty much, but wow. always training in some way. Um, but it's, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's recreation really, but, uh, it's fun to kind of put everything into it. Well, hats off to you. You've only been running ultras for a few years and you just did the granddaddy of them all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) So I've got to hear about it, but we've already got a lot to unpack. So, um, you did the PCT, uh, what year, how long ago was that? Um, 2016, 2016. Okay. So tell me about that. That's that's a dream of mine. I'm sure it was a <laughs> epic adventure. Yeah, absolutely. And if you say it's a dream of yours, then I say don't hesitate or don't hesitate too long. Just do it. <laughs> um, it was it was amazing. Um, I had a pretty interesting experience on it, but um, overall, I mean, six months and you know, the biggest thing I think I have to say about it is that it mirrors life in every way. Um, you're going off on this, you know, pretty epic adventure, but um, life will continue. Anything that happens in real life can also happen on the PCT. Um, but it, it is just such a worthy experience. Um, the good and the bad, everything all together. Um, and I tell people it ruined my life in the best way because (laughs) I don't think I could ever go back to a nine to five. And I, I'd really try to make being outside as big a part of my life as possible. Yes. Um, and just, yeah, definitely like love backpacking. You come away with a huge appreciation for what it means to be Mm self-sufficient, um, to live with less stuff, to have everything you need really with you at all times. Um, and just, it totally, uh, I don't want to say restored my faith in humanity because it's not like I had lost it, but really just solidified, um, that just people did so many kind things for me throughout the entire time. Um, that, you know, when it was least expected, things people didn't need to do, just generous. Yeah. So I'll never forget a lot of that. Wow. So it sounds like you had a nine to five job and you quit the, you quit it to go hike the PCT? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I was a child psychologist. I actually just practiced a couple of years because I did grad school and, um, and then worked for a couple of years at a children's hospital which I loved, but, um, just life, life happened. Some circumstances changed. I left that job, moved, um, out of Buffalo. And, um, and just since then I haven't, I've just been kind of following the path that I've, you know, that's been making me really happy. Um, I could easily be working and and be very happy doing that too, but, um, not just not at the moment. So again, I think sometime. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious if you don't mind me asking, like, how do you make a living now? If, if you yeah. don't have a job and you're just adventuring full-time, what, what are you doing? Oh, I do have a job. Um, okay. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's just to support what I'm doing. Oh, I, I picked up a job in a, in a really nice restaurant in Bend when I first moved here, just serving and they turned out to be just a wonderful place to work. Um, it was meant to be temporary, but I get, I mean, they give me all of the time off of work that I want. They're super supportive of my running and they've watched me become a runner. And I remember like my first 50 K my boss gave me a bottle of wine afterwards and was like, wow, you're incredible. And it's just, since it's progressed, people are just like, oh, 
hi, Emily, what'd you do? Run 50 miles this morning? Like, it's just kind of, right. you know, they're kind of used to it now, but, uh, <laughs> but just really supportive place to work. Um, and, and I don't think I could find another job at this point. I work like four nights a week, usually. Yeah. Um, it's been a really solid, solid place and I can play all day and then go into work. So yes. yeah. Or train Beautiful. all day. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> I mean, same type of thing here. I live in Boulder, Colorado, and I scraped up a couple of jobs that just kind of helped me get by to do the stuff that I want to do in the mountains. And mm -hmm. I, I did that for years and uh, it worked out perfectly. So hats off to you. It sounds like you're, you're kind of living the dirtbag life. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man. I mean, it's, it's uh yeah, it's a nice blend of yeah. Dirtbag hiker trash and yeah. um, having four walls and a roof is nice too, at least to come back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, why did you choose Bend, Oregon? Um, it was so on the PCT, that's when I first came here. Um, and it was just, I remember very clearly like the coffee shop I visited, walking around downtown. Um, it just felt like a really nice community. I mean, it's it's a bigger place. Um, certainly than Lake Placid was, that's a, you know, mountain town of 3000 people. And this is over 10,000, but it just seemed like it had a really nice feel to it. A nice community. I knew that trail running was huge, skiing, snowboarding, um, just the mountains. Um, it, it just seemed like a really, a really cool place, all the mountain biking and just a desirable destination. So I figured let's try it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, are you like pretty involved with the community there as far as running and hiking, or do you like to get out by yourself most of the time or how do you do it? You know, I do get out by myself a lot. I have, um, like met through, through other groups, um, through like our, uh, our downtown running store and through some like hiking Facebook groups. I've made actually some really good friends, um, just kind of going to organized um, a, a couple of organized hikes. Uh, I do a lot by myself. Um, but it is, it is nice to join other people. And as I, as I lived here a little bit longer and kind of came out of my shell, I moved here with somebody else and it, it wasn't an ideal situation, but kind of once I, um, separated myself from that and then, and, you know, kind of got out on my own and started making my own circle of friends. Um, yeah, it, it, it's become quite, quite a cool network of people. Nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, running is kind of a, a selfish sport because you spend a lot of time, whether it's, you know, away from your family or your kids or your friends, um, you just dedicate a lot of time to training by yourself. Um, so in, you know, it is nice to, to get out with other people. And I have a couple of really close friends who are, um, you know, as nuts or more nuts than me. So usually. <laughs> <laughs> wrangle them into doing fun things. <laughs> yeah. You've got to have friends like that, right? Some that aren't as experienced as you and some that just kind of scare you, you know, that, yeah, <laughs> to keep you balanced. And based off what I've seen on your Instagram, your number one hiking partner is your golden retriever. He is. He's, uh, right here, Jolly. He's here next what's to his me. name? A jolly <laughs> jolly okay i've got a i've got a golden retriever too uh her name is honey girl and it's actually my second golden so i'm um, in love with golden retrievers yes how so, old is jolly I, mean, I have to um i have to be honest or else jolly will be upset so he's actually he's not a golden he's um he's a german breed called a hovawart ah. um i got him in lake placid but and he looks like a golden he's just yeah. he's 
big and built like a mountain dog, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I grew up with Goldens and I wanted one and there was a, there was a breeder of these dogs back in Placid and, uh, I went to see the puppies and he was cute as can be. So how old is he? He's four. Does he come with you on almost all your adventures? Yeah, he's, um, he's a pretty skilled mountain dog. He's climbed some really, uh, some really sketchy stuff. Um, it's, it's pretty impressive actually to see him out there. You, You know, I'll go with other people and, um, they'll just like watch him and he'll be ahead of us scrambling up crazy stuff. Um, and then the things that he can't climb that are more technical, he'll just wait down below and he's getting a little more used to, he's a little impatient, but he's getting a little more used to waiting for mama to, to climb back down to him. Right, but, right. Uh, you know, he'll peek over the edge and then, and then stay away from there. But, um, he, he's a good boy. I think I have a, a good trust for him and him for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Sounds like it was meant to be. Yeah. Um, what's the furthest distance that he has gone? Um, in a day, I would say maybe 35 miles. Um, but we did this summer, we did a backpacking trip. I can't remember if it was like 83 or 93, I think it was 93 miles on the PCT actually, um, in about three days. Okay. So that was three big back-to-back days. Um, I normally don't push him past like a 50 K, especially, um, like last year he did a ton during 2020, he did a ton of running with me. Um, so I've been a little bit more selective of like the longer distances that he does. Just, I want him to be able to run with me for a very long time. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Yeah. You have to be sort of safe and, and keep their distance down a little bit, or if they have a big day, you know, give them a rest day afterwards. But, um, I, yeah, when people ask me that question, I always kind of have to caveat it because, uh, people say, well, I didn't know dogs could run that far. And it's like, you, know, <laughs> you probably didn't know people could run that far either. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, you know, dogs have to be in shape too. So if he goes yeah. a while without running, he gets out of shape, but, yeah. um, no, he is, you know, from the day, the first night I got him, we went and, and camped out in a lean to out in the Adirondacks and he was climbing mountains. Our, our vet was really good. We were, we were climbing with him pretty early a lot of people think you have to wait a lot longer but our, our vet kept a really close eye on what we were doing um and he was climbing mountains as a puppy small ones but um so he just he's been a trail dog like this all he's ever known um nice. and just climbing up so he i you can tell that he loves it yeah yeah <laughs> Um, I took a peek at your ultra sign up and it looks like, uh, you've only done one 100 mile race before the yeah. Moab 240. Yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty badass. Go big or go home. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, and it was Havelina 100. So what was your experience like? Well, before we even get into that, like you kind of explained how you, how you got into ultra running, but like what hooked you in? Was it that first 50 K was it the trail community? <laughs> And then how long Um, before you ran your first 100? You know, I think, uh, that first 50 K, so that was fall 2018. Um, and then the next year I did a 50 miler with some of my friends. And I remember just the night before I was the most nervous of all of them. Um, and I had brought like an enormous amount of food. It was ridiculous. They were all laughing at me. They're like, you're not going to need all that. And, um, and then it went really, really well. Um, and they were all just like, what, where did that come from? Um, and then Havelina was after that, there might've been a 50 K in there somewhere. 
Um, but I just kind of, I got one distance. I wanted to push it and, and go to the next distance. And I think, I mean, I skipped the hundred K I did that this past February, I ran one, but I think I just saw Havelina online and it was like the party ultra Halloween costumes right. looked super fun. Um, so I just thought I would go for it, but, um, I think, you know, I tell people that, uh, ultra running is like, um, uh, it's really great for lazy overachievers because you don't have to go very fast, but you have to go long. So, um, you know, I'm not a super fast runner. Um, I'm, I work on speed, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm from a hiking back background. Like I'm a, I would say like more of a speed hiker, endurance hiker. Um, and I think that's why like for long distance hiking, a lot of us um, alums of some of these long trails have become ultra runners because um, in ultra running, like in these races, especially the really long ones, you do quite a bit of walking. Like in yeah. Moab, there was a lot of walking involved and it's fast walking and you need those, you need those walking muscles to be really strong too. There were, there were people who weren't used to that at all, who just we're in a lot of pain, their hips and different, totally different leg muscles. You can go between like walking and then start kind of plodding along sort of jogging. And it just feels so much better when it hurts to walk, you jog. And when it hurts to jog, you walk. But anyway, um, so yeah, I just, you know, I think that after spending so much time outside on the PCT, ultra running was just a great way to see more, um, faster spend a ton of time outside it gives me a lot of structure around my life um I follow you know usually some kind of a training schedule um and I just I just love to be outside and the, the people I've met are amazing yeah. so the whole community is cool I just and I love to push myself in a lot of different ways but in ultra running it's just um it's exciting it's fun okay to see like what you can do yeah um, do you have a coach? I don't. Um, you said, I've you thought followed, about... you said you follow a training plan. You yeah. So write it up for yourself. I like Googled, um, you know, like 50 mile training plan. And it kind of gave me a week by week, like this is the mileage you should do a day. And I, I, for the 50 mile race I did, I followed that to a T and it went really well, but I also didn't do any kind of runs. Like I didn't have tempo runs or intervals, or like hill repeats or anything. I just laced my shoes up and ran. So then I started integrating some more of those and just based on other people that I follow and um, little thing, you know, bits you pick up um, as you, as you run more and learn from other people. And I'm just kind of imitating that. So yeah. I've, I've thought about getting a coach. Um, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I'm just hesitant to spend the money on it, yeah. um, but maybe. Yeah. Um, but not, not yet. Well, yeah, no, I don't think it's required by any means. And it sounds like you're doing just fine on your own. Um, I mean, Courtney DeWalter, I don't, I don't think she has a coach, she you know? Yeah. yeah. And she's one of the so, best in the world. So, you know, there yeah. you go. just, just follow your heart, you know, lace up your shoes and get out the door every day and, and you'll probably be good to go. So, yeah, um, I do see how it went, you know, try these different distances, find out what my favorite distance is. And then kind of see how I perform and maybe do a couple repeat races, see if I improve. And then if I feel like I'm finishing kind of, you know, placing really well, and it might benefit me to get a coach if I want to actually be more competitive, then maybe I would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, into that. 
How did Havelina go for you? Was it a uh, suffer fest or did you have an absolute blast or what was it like? Uh, it was a little bit of both. So okay. for Havelina, I, uh, first of all, so it's a costume race. Um, I mean, you don't have to dress up, but I did. I was Harley Quinn and oh, I nice. had, you know, the whole outfit and um, like big pigtails colored and a baseball bat. Um, and during my first lap, this guy comes up alongside me. He's like, you're not going to carry that the whole time, are you? And I wasn't going to, but for some reason I looked at him and I was like, you fucking bet I am. <laughs> so I did. Like at that point, I didn't have a choice. So, awesome. uh, so I, I mean, it was not a wooden bat. It was like a lighter, like rubber bat or something. But um, yeah, that just became part of me. So I had people were like cheering for Batgirl. And um, <laughs> it was funny. I used it like in the middle of the night, they turned one of the aid stations into like a rave with a DJ. And I used it to play Dizzy Bat. <laughs> and uh, there were like lots of like, you know, people volleying imaginary baseballs to me on the course and then swinging a home run. <laughs> it became a fun prop. Um, but yeah, Havelina, I, I, it went really well. I, I trained well for it, but I went into it kind of with some shin splints. And I had an idea from talking to some people that probably running on those shin splints that far, I might end up with a stress fracture. And around mile 80, um, it, it did. It totally uh, gave out and just absolute pain. Um, I was running a, I was running a race that was perfectly on pace to be sub 24 hours. Um, and it, that just got demolished. Um, I remember I like pulled off to the side, I had my pacer with me, my friend Ben, and I pulled to the side of the trail crying and, and these, this couple, this guy and girl come up and, uh, I'm actually still in touch, um, with, with the woman and, they were running, I think the night run. So during the hundred miler, they have like the hundred K and then they have this night run too. And they were running that and they were just like, what's the matter? And they're talking to me. They're like, you're amazing. Like, we're not even attempting that you can do this. And so I kept going. And then I ended up stopping at an aid station and I was about to quit. And this, this woman, this medic looks at me in the eye and she goes, you're not quitting. You're going to sleep for a couple hours, rest your leg we're going to make pancakes because it was going to be morning in a few hours. She's like, we're going to make you pancakes. And then you're going to finish this race. Mm. And I was like, okay, like you obey what they say. Right. right. <laughs> no what. So, um, so I did, and I kind of like jog hobbled to the finish and it was good. It was like around 28 hours. So it, it wasn't a bad time at all. Um, but, uh, it was such a great experience. I, I met so many people and kept in touch with a lot of those people. One of the people I met, um, my friend Alex and his wife, Kelsey, they live in Salt Lake. Um, and Alex came and paced me at Moab and was like the crew captain. Nice. Um, so we went from just like meeting each other at Havelina a couple of years ago to like full on amazing race support friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Havelina was awesome. I'm actually, it's in two weeks. I am signed up for it. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at this point, um, I feel awesome like i i've been running um i don't know why i feel so good after moab but i feel pretty strong and weirdly and so i'm i was like no i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna run it um but i hadn't canceled it yet and i'm entertaining pretty much today i need to decide um kind of comes down to asking my boss if i can have another weekend yeah. and then buying a plane ticket to go down there um there's like a direct flight right from here, from Bend, right to Phoenix, two hours, 20 minutes. Hmm. So we'll see. Nice. Uh, 
very tempting. <laughs> so you're not injured or anything like that. Your body's feeling pretty all right. And you've been getting out for some runs. I have, you know, I, so I went into Moab also with, um, I, I had kind of like an ankle, some kind of ankle or tendon. I think more of an, a tendon injury, probably most of the summer, like for the past, I want to say about six months. Um, and about 10 miles into any run, I would feel it like, you know, some days it would be worse than others. Sometimes it would just be very mild, but I had been running with a, like a Achilles kind of ankle, uh, brace. Um, but that was what I thought if I, if something was going to take me out of Moab, that was going to be it. Cause I thought that's a ton of miles to put on something that's been bothering me. And wouldn't, you know, the whole race never once felt it. Wow. Felt every other part of my body in excruciating right. ways, but the ankle never bothered me. So that was some kind of miracle. I have no idea how or why, um, oh, man. but I'm so grateful for that. <laughs> Except those miracles when they come your way. That's beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get into Moab. Um, why did you pick Moab? And if you were signed up for Moab with Havelina coming up shortly after, was that on purpose? Was that on accident? Did you sign up for one of them at the last minute or how did that work out? So I, so I picked Moab. Um, I, I love running these races because you get to travel places to run. So that's one, that's one of the big appeals is to explore a place that you don't live and, and just see so much beauty. Um, you know, as far as the, just the triple crown of two hundreds through destination trails, um, I don't know if it was just like, Oh, this is the longest one. Cause there's Bigfoot by Mount St. Helens and then Tahoe and, um, and then Moab. Um, I think maybe I just wanted some drastic scenery change. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the Mount St. Helens area, although I will probably sign up for that race at some point um, because people rave about it. And uh, maybe I just haven't enjoyed the area in the right way yet. Um, but I think for Moab, it was just the thought of going to Utah and seeing all the, all the beautiful scenery down there. Um, I don't know. You know, I was drinking margaritas when I did sign up for it. That's usually, that's, that usually has a large part to do with most of the things I sign up, you know, it's like, okay, time to log into ultra sign up and kind of browse around. Um, and I had briefly entertained doing the triple crown of 200. So all three of those, and it's like August, September, October, um, talked myself out of that. And, uh, but then I actually, I had been signed up for another one in September, the Wasatch 100, hmm. um, which I did duck out of, um, given my ankle issues and the Wasatch is really hard. It's like 25,000 feet of climbing in a hundred miles mm -hmm. and Moab is about 30,240. So Wasatch is definitely a lot more rugged. And I just decided, um, I had also, I, the summer was just kind of a dumpster fire of issues, mostly having to do with my car and not having a car for a lot of the summer and, um, and just putting a lot of stress and money into fixing it. So I, I figured just tone it down and focus on, focus on Moab and getting through that. Um, so yeah, so I, I did have quite the lineup, a hundred and then two forty, and then another hundred. Um, that's pretty but, ambitious. Uh, 
It, it is. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I would rather take on a challenge and then kind of back away and, you know, and see how I feel than just then not do it in the first place. So yeah, it was, yeah ambitious for sure. But uh, I mean, you, you just never know. You only so. live once, right? Do big Absolutely. things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Life is painfully short. So um, yeah, just try to do as much as you can. You got to go for it when you can. Um, how was the training leading up to Moab? Did you feel like it was pretty on point? Were you feeling pretty good at the start of the race? Um, you know, the training was kind of bizarre. So again, like, cause I, I was out a car. Um, I, I had, I have some great people in my life who kind of helped me out. It was, it was frustrating. Cause I was like, you know, even here in Bend, you have to drive a ways to get to, um, the trails in the mountains. So I wasn't doing as much training in the mountains as I had wanted to throughout the summer. I also had wanted to do some really big back-to-back days, um, like backpacking just to get a ton of miles on my legs, strengthen up those hiking muscles. And, uh, I, I did a couple, but not as much as I wanted. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I looked at Moab as like, this isn't necessarily a race you can train for in the same way that you would train for a 50 miler or a hundred miler. Um, it's so long. It's hugely mental. You really have to have like ever changing reasons for why you're there and doing it because your, your mind is just going to strike them all down one at a time. Um, the sleep deprivation. I mean, it's just, how do you train? I mean, a hundred miler. Yeah. You're up all night for one night. Anybody can do that, but multiple nights gets really, really tough. Um, and there's no, I mean, there's not really a distance that you can run regularly. That's like, Oh, this is preparing me for 240. Right. Um, unless you're getting out like every weekend and doing big, big, you know, back-to-back efforts. So, um, you know, I, I did try to do a lot of miles. I was running like 80, some, you know, 80 odd mile weeks. Um, a lot of like a lot, lot flatter than I wanted. And then doing a lot of mountain climbing Then about a month and a half before the race, I just said, you know what? I, um, I'm going to make this more about like the mental training and really just focus on doing all the things that I've wanted to do all summer. Like I got my car back and like, I'm going to go climb a bunch of mountains, do some overnights, do big miles, put a lot on my legs, but not, not focus so much on, um, the running as much as just loving this month and a half before the race. And Mm -hmm. so like when I'm there in the race, I'll have this to, to go back to and be like, you know, the time before it was well spent. So I climbed like all the mountains here in Oregon, (laughs) literally, and, uh, did some backpacking and went on some runs with my friends and, and had a blast. And so still really working, working the legs, not the training that I had imagined, but obviously it worked somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really like mentally, I was, I was with the people I wanted to be spending time with. I was doing the things that I absolutely love. Um, because, you know, racing is just, it's, it's a race. It, you're not doing it all the time. It's an event. So you have to love everything that comes in between the races. And that's what I do. I love, um, you know, trail running and climbing mountains. So, yeah. yeah. Where do you get that from? Like you practice yoga or meditating or what keeps you so present like that? Like that's something that I strive for, but it's something I sort of struggle with as well. Um, you know, oh gosh. It's funny because I wrote my dissertation 
on like um, mindfulness practices oh, cool. um, for, for children. And, uh, and I don't practice yoga and meditation regularly. I mean, there are absolutely things I should do that everybody should do um, that I would like to do because it's so beneficial. But uh, I mean, I, I get a little of that, but um, I don't know exactly where it all came from. Um, last summer, so in, in 2020, I lost a really good friend of mine um, from high school. Um, and I think that that, I mean, I, I was like this before then too, but I think that that just lit a whole nother fire under me and gave me even more reason to like, to not hesitate um, when you're doing the things that you love or things that you're pursuing. And, um, you know, I don't know other than I've had, I've just had some really um, wonderful human experiences in my life. Just people being so good to me. Um, I, I feel like it sounds so cheesy, but uh, um, I've just been on the receiving end of, of so many good things. Um, and I think that that just, it, it invigorates me in a way. Um, I've been able to see so many beautiful things. And I just, I, some of it's probably being a bit naive, but I think the world is just beautiful and people are beautiful. And I just, I want to see as much as I can. Yeah. I just, I, I have this idea in my mind always just that like life is so very, very short and just the sense of time. Um, I just don't, I don't like to waste time. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that totally makes sense. Um, and, uh, you know, I try and stay as present as possible. And I have this sort of belief that's kind of similar to yours as I, at least this is what I tell myself is that everything is perfect. You know, life is perfect. Uh, all the, the downtimes in my life are perfect. They were there for a reason for my growth. You know, if I wake up with, without cancer or I lose my legs and I'm not able to run, that was meant to happen for whatever that reason is. And I should mm -hmm. just be thankful for all that. And uh, it sounds like you are just right on track with all that. So <laughs> props to you. I mean, um, not only are you living the dirtbag life, but you are like living present, which is even more important. You know, you are right here in the moment. I try. I mean, I definitely, I deal with, you know, my share, I have like a lot of anxiety and um, which, which how, I mean, being outside, amazing for that. Um, right. You know, and so I have, you know, my own stuff. I tend to be very um, like in my head a lot of the times and probably overthink a lot, but I think, um, and that's probably why I write so much when I write, it kind of um, helps me to express things so much better in a way that I can understand. Um, and then maybe resonates with other people too. But, uh, you know, I just, um, I love to think, I love to think about life and what it means to be human and, um, you know, everything existential and yeah. just fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah <laughs> what was that? Probably why I'm a psychologist. Ah, yes. <laughs> Tell me about your writing. What kind of writing do you do? Is it just uh, personal journal stuff or what do you get into? Yeah. Um, I just, I write sometimes just stream of consciousness. So I'll just kind of write a blurb on whatever is kind of currently going through my mind. Um, reflecting on experiences, reflecting on a day, descriptive writing. 
I, I mean, I've been, <laughs> my, I have people telling me like, Oh, write a, write a book. I would love to write a book. Um, I don't currently have the discipline to sit down and do that. I don't even know where I would start. Um, probably getting a laptop computer would be a great start. Uh, <laughs> or like my friends have, you know, said, Oh, you should have a blog so that you can write about, you know, organize your experiences. And right now it's just limited to Instagram. I post some photos because I, I love taking pictures and I love being able to look back on my experiences and kind of have a record of what I was thinking and feeling. Um, so usually I just write, you know, pretty much to the limit that they allow um, and just try to pack a lot into that, you know, few paragraphs um, and try to make it resonate. But um, just it's really just self-reflective um, and trying to really convey a clear memory that um, you know, can elicit exactly like what I was feeling mm-hmm. at that time or experiencing in some way. Yeah. Um, but it helps, it, it really does help it get it out of my head. I just, I always, I love to write yeah. always have. Yeah, no, yeah. me too. It's extremely therapeutic. And, um, you know, in, in, um, like the mental health world, that's one of the first things that they suggest, uh, in the recovery world, it's one of the first things they suggest, um, and just, uh, I read this book called the artist's way and they, and, uh, the author, um, she says that you should get up and write three pages every day. First thing in the morning, three pages. And it's something that no one's ever going to read. It's just like the mind, the, the, like the mind diarrhea, almost you're getting all the crap off the surface so that you can be present throughout the rest of the day. And, uh, that's a practice that I really enjoy, but, I would, uh, I would highly recommend writing a book. I think that, you know, if you love writing, it's, it's just like ultra running, you know, you get up and you run three miles one day, six miles the next day, three miles rest day. It's the same thing. So yeah, yeah, no, I would highly recommend it. I'm sure that you have a great story to tell. I think it would be fantastic. It's, you know, I, 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 it's a possibility. I, um, I think about it a lot and it's just, sometimes I have a hard time. Like I, I'll be like, Oh, I'm thinking about doing this and then actually executing it. Um, I think it's easier to get up and go run and follow a training plan. Cause I'm just moving yeah. and it's hard for me. to Yeah. Uh, but yeah. We'll when do you normally write? Do you have a time of the day? Like first thing in the morning or after you get back from running or whenever really I'm, I get really inspired usually like in the evenings, but, yeah. uh, any time of day, like, you know, like the feeling when you just, you have something pop into your head and you're like, I have to write this down. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I'll just open like the notepad on my phone and just furiously, you know, type out something, um, you know, to post later or something like that. But, uh, uh just, yeah. uh, yeah, whenever. whenever. All right. <laughs> well, I'm going to check back in with you and, uh, make sure you're still writing and, uh, <laughs> hopefully writing a book at some point, you know, even yes. if it's not this year, maybe a couple of years down the road, I think, I think it would be awesome. Cool. Um, okay. So training for Moab was kind of mediocre. It wasn't exactly <laughs> what you expected, but you were still running a lot of miles, um, walking up yeah. to the starting line. I put my heart into it still. I just, you know, it was difficult to fathom exactly what that kind of mileage would, would even be like. It, it was, it, it still is hard to comprehend that much mileage. So I didn't really know what kind of a plan. I don't know if there is a training plan for that other than make your body strong and make your mind strong. And yeah. 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 
yeah, you can only train so much. I mean, you know, 80 miles a week is pretty substantial. If you start going beyond that, you're risking injury. But if you're going less than that, what was that? I definitely didn't overtrain, which was good. No, that's perfect. How did you feel going up to the start line? Did you feel pretty confident about uh, what was to come? Oh, that was so exciting. Um, Confident, again, like I think my brain just couldn't comprehend what I was about to do. Um, So it was all about just little pieces. Like I knew going to the start line, like everybody's there, everybody's pumped. You look around and there's all these like big, like these bearded runners and you know, you recognize a few of them. You're just, and then just all these, just so many men and women. And, and you're like, wow, like in 240 miles, you just have no idea where anyone's going to end up. Anything could happen to anyone. Um, so there's just all this excitement and I'm, it's like too late to be scared. And, and I just can't understand. I can't grasp like how far it's going to be at all. The only thing you can really do is, um, you know, in the, I don't even know if it was a bell or a whistle or a gun. I don't know. Um, but you know, when it's time to go and you see people ahead of you moving, you just start going and you know, there's going to be, I mean, that's, you know, broken down by aid station and elevation, you know, in between each one. So you just section by section, mm-hmm. um, my, my crew captain, Alex had made a binder with every, every aid station, all the distances, the elevation gain, the profiles, um, so that I could try to digest it a little more. And it really just became about making it to the next aid station. Um, cause the big rule is that you don't quit at an aid station. Um, if you're going to quit, you quit somewhere in between. So that way you still have to get to the next one. And by the time you get to the next one, you're just enveloped in like people taking care of you and asking what you need and giving you a place to sit and feeding you. And then you start to feel better and you want to keep going. Um, so yeah, so at that starting line, I was just really excited. I popped in my headphones and put on a song that I loved and just, I wanted to enjoy that moment. And it was amazing. Yeah. What was the song? Um, it was Sweetness by Jimmy Eat World. Ah, nice. Okay. That'll get you pumped up. <laughs> yeah, I love that song. <laughs> did you listen to headphones when you run all the time or did you listen to them like the whole race? I use headphones almost always, um, unless I'm running with somebody else. And then during the, during the race, I had to run the first 70 miles by myself. So I did have headphones in a lot, but what I found is like other runners would come up or I would come up to other runners like slowly. So you'd kind of be matching their pace and they would ask you a question. I'd constantly be pulling one out of my ear. So then I just left one out. Um, but for a lot of that first 70, I was listening to um, some music and then I found a podcast I really liked um, that I listened to a bunch of. Nice. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, did you have a plan uh, as far as how you're going to tackle this huge distance? Like a lot, you hear a lot of people say, I'm just going to do 20 hours a day and then rest for four hours. And then I'm going to be able to yeah. get it done in the time frame. Were you thinking yeah. in those terms or how were you, you know, you eat a bite? <laughs> Um, the plan went out the window, sort of, (laughs) I, I, I I left the plan in the dust and then I came back to the plan. Um, so Alex again had put together a, like a rough, um, like Excel spreadsheet of like, Hey, this is a good breakdown just to, to kind of calm me down. Cause I was really, um, I was really nervous and, and just scared leading up to the race. Again, it's so hard to to fathom what that distance could possibly look and feel like. So he 
laid out um, like all the aid stations and distances and then came up with a pace um, between, um, sorry, he's actually, <laughs> he just sent me some messages. Um, oh, rope him into the podcast. Let's hear from him too. Oh man. No, <laughs> the last one said that you've inspired a lot of people. I just, can't. oh man, it's people keep telling me that. And it's really, um, that's such a, that's like the, the best compliment that exists. It's the ultimate um, compliment. It is. I mean, I just, uh, that's such a good reason for doing what I do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway, okay. So anyway, so he kind of came up with a pace and I said, well, this is how much I want to sleep and where I was going to buzz through the first aid station and not sleep or the first sleep station at 70 miles, not sleep, get through the next 50, um, sleep at 120 and then sleep later. Um, and so he estimated like with the sleep, with stops at aid stations, and then with like a 40% slow down after the first half of the race, he had me finishing in about 90 hours, hmm. um, midnight on, um, so like Monday night going into Tuesday. And so, and, and looking at the paces, I mean, the fastest pace between aid stations was like a 15 minute mile. And I, and like the slowest was like 2.1 miles an hour. So I thought, okay, that's very manageable. Just seeing those numbers was very reassuring. And it wasn't like I had to stick to that exact plan. It was just meant to be like, Hey, you can do this. And that's 90 hours. You still have 22 more. Hmm. Like if you, you know, to use, right. um, so I kind of went in with that and that was probably the not the number one thing that calmed me down before the race was having that. Um, so then we start the race and I just, balls to the wall right out of the gate first 70 miles I was in like second place female and I'm getting messages from people that are like oh my god like you're doing so the aid stations they're like you're second female and I'm just thinking well that's not gonna stay the same (laughs) no way like I really just wanted to buzz through those first 70 so that I could get to my crew get to my first pacer who's my friend Erica I wanted to see them I didn't want to be alone looking back I was fine by myself I could have I could have taken it down a notch and just been a little easier, but I don't think it was necessarily going out too hard. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I love, I do usually go out harder than people recommend. Um, and it has never really negatively affected me. I've never totally like bonked, um, which is a good thing. I, I guess if it happens to me at some point, I'll be like, okay, now I need to you know dial it back. Mm-hmm. But um, in this case, it was just really motivating. And I really wanted to get that first 24 hours as many miles as I could so that the rest of the race would feel like I had plenty of time to, to complete it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty much, that's what became my goal. So, um, I got to that 70 miles, picked up Erica, she's ready to run with me. And I like, can't run. <laughs> she's like, do you want to jog a little? And I like tried and I physically couldn't. Oh, really? So she inherited me after I had just expended a ton of energy and, um, you know, she's ready to run, she's pumped. And I'm like, can we walk? And then after like an hour, the fog, like the sleepiness, and this was only night one, but the, the tiredness. And so the night gets really cold and then you get really tired. And it, I was like begging her to like, let me take a nap. And I felt so guilty because I mean, we're moving slowly. So she's probably already cold. My body has no idea what temperature it should be. And I, all I want to do is like lay in the dirt and take a nap in my, like they give us these Mylar emergency bivvies, which is just like a giant potato sack. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I mean, 
thank God for Erica because she let me <laughs> take a nap. I mean, and she was so patient and, and walked with me and, uh, she was incredible, but, uh, but yeah, so I maybe should have taken a nap at that first sleep station. Um, and that's like the first lesson I think I learned in that race. Um, because I had no idea, like, I don't like taking naps. I feel groggy when I wake up. I feel like they're useless (laughs) in general. So I never, you know, by the end of the race, you know, an hour and a half of sleep to me felt like six hours. I would wake up feeling, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed. Um, but I had no idea like before I ran it, what that would be like. So that was a big lesson to learn. Like I should have stopped and taken a nap. Um, yeah, at that first aid. And then, you know, throughout the race, I would, I started walking like speed hiking and then that would hurt after a while. And then I learned that, you know, for a while I thought, Oh, I can't run. I even, I was with one of my pacers, Alex, and he's like, let's see you just try to run. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sprint full speed as fast as I can. And it was comical. Like I, my body literally wouldn't move faster than four miles an hour Mm. at the most. Like I, I couldn't sprint, like it just wouldn't happen. Um, it was pretty funny, but, uh, you know, then later in the race, I was with another pacer, my friend, Ben, and he, he was like, do you want to try to jog again? And I said, no, I can't. But then I was like, well, let's try. And all of a sudden I could jog again. Like it just, I had rested my running muscles enough and I could jog and it felt much less painful than walking at that point. So then I just alternated jogging and walking, depending on what felt better. And it's incredible what the body goes through. Isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Especially when it's your own body, you're just like looking down, like, I can't believe we're still doing this. This is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So during, I mean, essentially I learned like there were, I I still had some longer planned sleeps. Um, I took way more dirt naps than I thought I would, Um, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, dirt nap and you don't even care about comfort at that point you're so you know by night two night three you're so exhausted Mm -hmm. that just being able to lay on the ground is a huge reprieve Mm -hmm. um but there were times that you know my pacer would wake me up and I would feel like I just closed my eyes and Mm -hmm. it had been 20 30 minutes so um a lot more dirt naps and I think that I could have avoided that a little more getting more sleep earlier Mm -hmm. um but I didn't know that um I I don't handle sleep deprivation well at all And I knew going into the race that would, besides my, my ankle, um, that would be my biggest challenge. And it, it was, (laughs) Uh, I met people, there were some racers I had conversations with during the race. Like they would be walking with me, having a conversation, but also at the same time, having these visual hallucinations that they would describe. Right. And it was wild. And they would, they would seem completely lucid, um, you know, and present with me, but then just seeing these bizarre things. And my brain, I never hallucinated. I think my brain, before it gets to that point, my eyes just physically shut. Mm. Um, I get so exhausted that I can't even keep my eyes open and I start walking sideways and then that's it. I have to, you know, at least take a short nap. Um, So it's pretty amazing, like what other people can do on very, like they can physically keep moving. Their mind just gives out. So I don't know if there's a way to train that. <laughs> I know. I'm so jealous of those people that are, that's like their, their strength is sleep deprivation. They can just go forever with no sleep. And I'm like, man, that's the one thing that I don't really have. I wish I did. <laughs> but then their mind gets really weird and it can get kind of dangerous too. Like there was, um, 
there was this man that Erica and I passed near the end. I want to say five miles from the end. And there was this big downhill on like a um, single track, slick rock, and then three miles on a bike path to the finish line. And so we passed this guy and we're, we're still up high a little bit on the mountain bike trail. And uh, of course, like, so for the last 18 miles, she dressed up head to toe as a unicorn for me um, just to make it even more fun. Sure. And so unicorn onesie and we come up to this guy and he's, he's like, I'm hallucinating vividly and I'm like well this probably doesn't help that my friend is here <laughs> unicorn she like gives him a unicorn sticker she was like gonna you know like slap a sticker on everyone we passed um and uh he was just like yeah I'm just really having hallucinations well we find out later that a, like maybe a mile later he he got to the bottom of the slick rock and turned around and started going the other way and a couple of runners and it was dark at that point. I finished at night and it was dark. And these other runners came upon him and tried to convince him that he was going the wrong way. And he, he got kind of angry at them and like thought they were trying to trick him. Really? And he really thought that he was supposed to go back up. And, uh, I talked to him a couple of days after the race online. And he said that when he saw me and Erica, um, he thought that we were going, we were headed towards the sky portal and to some initiation ceremony. Um, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and so they, he actually finished, but he did have medical come out and meet him, I think, on the course and evaluate him. Um, because if you're hallucinating too badly, it can be really yeah. dangerous. Oh, big time. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, but, but he did finish, which is awesome. Good. Good for him. <laughs> I have a buddy, Alex, who was running out there and ended up not finishing. And I asked him what happened. And he's like, man, when I saw Edward scissors hands, I just tapped out. Like that was, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I feel like some people just would kind of freak out a little bit. at you know, some of the things that they might see uh, just might make them feel so uncomfortable that they don't want to keep going. Yeah. It's a really weird mental thing. Hmm. So especially the people without pacers, I mean, I don't know if I'd ever want to do one of those races without, without a pacer. Yeah. So you had a pacer the whole time. Um, after mile 70. Yeah. The whole had, time that you're allowed. Yeah. Yeah. So I had one, two, three, four, four friends. Wow. Um, nice. So me. they just took one section each. Um, they, a couple of them alternated. So, um, like Erica did 50 miles with me and then I had a friend do, um, then it was like, 20 and then like 45 and then 26 and then I think like 18 and 18 or something like that. So a few of them had a couple of sections. Cool. How much sleep did you get out there total? Do you have any idea? Around six hours. Six. Okay. Like and a half of like, um, maybe, maybe four hours of that was pretty high quality sleep. Mm. Um, and then oh, alerts, um, yeah, maybe four hours of that, maybe, maybe a little more was like really high quality sleep. Um, I think the best, I mean, medical said the magic number is like 45 minutes. Um, and so trying to get less than that really just felt like nothing. But when I was desperate for a short dirt nap, mm -hmm. um, you know, 20, 30 minutes, uh, was, was good. But at the times that I slept like an hour and a half and an hour and 45 minutes, those were priceless. Nice. Um, I just, I woke up feeling so good and I had no idea that would happen. Wow. So. Yeah. And those sleeps are so hard. You feel like you're just on the bottom of the ocean. Like, <laughs> like you're the only one left on earth or something and you wake up. Yeah. And, okay. I got some energy. 
Yeah. It, it, it's amazing how much energy your body could just get just from that short amount of time. And, um, it's kind of torture having someone wake you up and knowing like, not only do they wake you up, but you have to keep moving now and go another 50, hundred miles or whatever. But, um, that's just part of it. The experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, highest highs and lowest lows out there. Like how bad did it get? And are, were there points where you were just elated on top of the world? telling yourself, this is what I was born for. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. There were, there were mega, there were a couple mega highs. There were some real low lows. Um, I'll say that even in the last mile of the race, I was saying that I would never, ever run another 200 mile race. And by the following afternoon, I was signed up for the Tahoe lottery for next. <laughs> cool. So, um, I mean, I was like, I was vehemently against ever doing this to myself again. It was torture. It was heinous. It was awful. Um, and it was all of those things truly. So I guess, um, the lowest I felt was, oh, my, my, so Alex crew captain, he, he paced me for the most difficult part of the race by far. It was about 45 miles. It included, um, a reroute from a, like a fire reroute, but also a last minute snow reroute um, in the LaSalle's cause we were supposed to go over 10,000 feet. There was a storm, um, uh, planned that actually did dump a bunch of snow on runners after I finished. Um, mm. but they wanted to keep runners out of the storm and out of the high winds predicted up way up high, which is perfectly reasonable. Um, but the reroute that they did at the last minute was essentially, I think I'm pretty sure, um, they cut some new trail for that, which means it was really rough. And the old log or the old like fire roads, fire roads <laughs> that they included um, were essentially like riverbeds mm. of rocks and avalanche debris. I mean, not real avalanche, but like that's what the terrain was. So you like look on, you know, I don't know if they looked at Gaia and said like, oh, look, there, there appears to be a trail or a road, um, you know, <laughs> loosely speaking. Yeah, I mean, um, you Terrible. Yeah. You get out there and it's just abysmal. It's like, who, who planned this route? This is horrendous. Yeah. So, um, so I'll back up though. So I'll go to the high first. Cause that's right before it. Um, my friend, Kevin fresh off the PCT, he did about a thousand miles of the PCT this year. He came out just to do photos and video. Cause he wants to make like an adventure documentary of the race. Oh, cool. Um, and I was like, Hey, Kevin, you know, would you be able to pace if I need somebody for a shorter section? And he was like, sure. But I don't think he was super confident. I was, I mean, through hiker and he's got these long legs and, um, he ended up taking on a 26 mile stretch with one aid station in between. Um, and we just had the most fantastic time. It was, I mean, that section was made for Kevin. It was all dirt road, like reasonable dirt road, um, wide open sky, um, you know, views like walking headed straight towards the LaSalle mountains, um, sunrise. So we started before sunrise. Um, he kept, you know, he kept me out of the fog. So I didn't need a nap and we just, we jammed, um, we got to the aid station and there were three other women there. And I just was like, this is an opportunity because, um, right. Cause I mean, you're competing with yourself, but you have these like friendly rivalries with right. other and mostly other women. Cause that's, you know, I mean, you're competing against everybody, but ultimately it's, it's the women's times. And, um, so I see three sitting there and I'm just like, we can do this. So they see me, you know, roll up and I get my pancake breakfast first one of the day. And, uh, um, 
you know, they get up to leave and I'm like, Kevin, let's go. <laughs> so they see me getting up to leave too. And I, I talked to some of them afterwards and we all knew exactly what the others were thinking. Yeah. But uh, I get out onto the road and just buzz by them. And so Kevin and I are just like on this high of like, we're just, I mean, we're not running, but we're super speed hiking four miles an hour. Um, just like trucking through the desert. And then we get to this cool section where we're still on the dirt road, but it's wrapping around. And then there's like a compound with like buildings and solar and what looks like antennas on top of this cliff. And, and we're just like, who are these people that live out here? Are they preppers? Are they like, um, they just total off the grid. And then there's like a home for sale. We're talking about how we could live on course. Then there's like these weird structures built into the sides of cliffs and these crazy ranches and things just start getting weird. It's like, I just can't explain. It's, it's kind of like when we hike um, the LA aqueduct section of the, of the PCT and like the, the true desert section. And you see that just these weird things out there, random homes. And you're just thinking about who the heck lives out here. Mm-hmm. Um, like a, a random couch on the side of the trail. Um, and we just, you know, we, we're covering up. I've got my hair in pigtails. I put my sunglasses on. I've got my braids like sticking out like Pippi Longstocking. And we're just having a blast. We're just having the very best time. We feel good. We're like, we look good. We feel good. We're having fun. We're having more fun than anyone else on course. And it just, and then meanwhile, I know that, so I've got some cell phone service and Erica is planning to have pizza and margaritas at the next aid station. So we're really moving fast just to get to that point. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely like that section was legitimately the most fun in the whole course. Mm. Um, there were other fun things about the race, but for 26 miles, um, you know, Kevin and I just constantly laughing and having a ball. Um, and he did an amazing job as a pacer, just reminding me to eat and drink and all of that. Um, and so, and then also, so Kevin, I should also say we were like, he wears bedrock sandals um and he he hikes the pct in them he lives in them he climbed mount whitney in them um and he wears like these crazy cat shorts and a fanny pack and then he's got like his big camera with a giant lens on it so people just like would look at him and be like what are you doing out here and he's like you <laughs> think right right <laughs> crazy um so we, we figured that that was a little bit of psychological warfare against the other runners <laughs> but uh but it, it was great. Um, so that, and then we get to the, we get to this one aid station where of course my crew is there and yes, we have my, my dream is, um, to recreate the scene from home alone where Kevin McAllister orders his very own cheese pizza. Um, and so I had my very own pizza delivered to me, you know, open the box, just whole pizza for me right wow. there and erica had uh had gotten margaritas which wouldn't you know utah on a sunday you can't buy liquor oh yeah so challenge for her to to uh get that tequila but she came through and um so you know we were just having a ball and then i picked up alex for the next section that goes up um into the lasalles and we had a a rude awakening um all uphill for a very long time, uh, really rugged trail, steep, lots of boulder hopping. Um, and then as it, it did get a little bit easier, but my body just started to really be in a lot of pain. Um, everything hurt except my ankle, <laughs> um, but everything hurt. 
I was exhausted. My spine felt like it was just being crunched together. Mm. Every, every step I took, every step was so painful. Um, the bottoms of my feet. Um, that's when it was really, and then it got dark and cold. Um, we pulled into, so like the, the course is a loop, except for this one section, it was like an out and back. They had to like add a little bit on and that just felt like an eternity. It felt like time just slowed way down. We weren't making any progress. I felt like I was moving so slow and you're, you're not actually, it just, when you feel every single step and you're paying attention to every second and you want it to go faster, I mean, like watching water boil, right? It's just not, mm-hmm. it's going to feel forever. So we get to that aid station and it was like a refugee camp. People looked awful. I, I walked in practically comatose. Um, another runner actually, um, it wasn't a sleep station, but there were medical cots and they were letting people take naps for like 30 minutes. And there was another runner ahead of me and he took one look at me and was just like, let Emily have my cot. Oh no. Um, which was so kind. I mean, I just, I think I was just probably tears down my face and like my eyes were probably just, you know, headlights. Um, and so, you know, they gave me some food and you just, you have to keep going. Um, even when it's harder than the hardest thing you've ever done in your life and you're, you're miserable, there really isn't any choice. Mm-hmm. Um, cause what, if you're going to quit, it's, really hard for vehicles to get up there. So it's going to be hours before they come and get you. Um, so it's gonna be hours before you're warm again. And, and like, really, you're going to quit at that point. Like, it's just not really an option. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's pretty miserable and hard. And you're wondering why you're even doing that, um, to yourself. (laughs) So we, we went from that aid station. It was 23 miles to the next one. Um, hardest, hardest 23 of my entire life. Um, just, uh, I, that was of course where the route, all the reroutes, um, really just rugged trail, tons of up and down, really steep people have struggled on that section, but I, I was pretty, pretty down and miserable. And that is, that is the section where I learned, you know, I'm, I'm trying to absorb all these words of wisdom from like David Goggins and, you know, mental toughness and where I'm, you know, what I'm going to pull from and where I'm going to dig deep mm-hmm. and, I learned that at least for me, um, when you're in that much pain and that much and you're suffering, um, and, and it just sucks so bad. There is nothing that's going to take you out of that. Like there's no magic, like let's make this suck less. It's just not going to, it's not going to suck less. Um, you know, that like morning will come at some point. And if you keep moving forward, you will get to where you're going which is the next aid station. All you ever think about is just the next aid station. Cause if you try to think more like ahead of that, you'll get overwhelmed. Right. But it just, you know, it, you just have to keep moving through the suck. There's no, there's no way around it. There's no way to make it better. No pep talk that can, you know, um, I think the only thing, and that's where too, when people say things like, Oh, you have to be doing this for yourself. Mm, I mean, if I was really doing it for myself, I wouldn't make myself hurt so much. <laughs> I think at that point, really the only thing that, that made me feel any better was I knew there were an awful lot of people watching and a lot of people who were like rooting for me, which was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, you know, at that point, uh, finishing the thing seemed like it would be a lot more meaningful. Um, 
because maybe it would, maybe it would be meaningful to other people too. Mm. So it wasn't, it wasn't so much like about me or wanting to do it. Cause in that moment, I didn't really want to be there, <laughs> but you know, um, it just became a thing that was bigger than me and all the other runners out there who are also suffering through it. Um, you know, we were all, we were all getting through it together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it was like this group effort, um, that was just, I don't know, kind of indescribable, but no, that's a beautiful moment when, you know, you might be starting the race for yourself. I want to do this for myself, you know, but then it gets to a point where, yeah, you don't want to do it anymore. And it becomes bigger than you. It becomes almost bigger than the race. Like maybe I can inspire people that are watching me in a different state. And, uh, that can be a huge motivating factor. So, um, good for you. Were there any points that you seriously contemplated quitting? Yeah. Mile 90. Uh, 90. <laughs> I was with, I was with Erica and we were trying, just trying to get to the halfway. I was so tired and I just, I, I really doubted I could do it. I sat down on a rock and cried. There was a, I cried a lot during the race. <laughs> um, I just, just to release, you know, it just, it helped, but, yeah. but um, there is a video of me that exists where she like is taping me. I'm just like sitting on this rock with my head in my hands. And then she pans out to like the beautiful scenery around me. Um, And, you know, she was just like, sit down, let it out. And I just said, I don't think I can do this. I don't belong here. Why do I think that I can do this? Damn. And and she was like, just make it to the next aid station. I think at that point I had made the mistake of thinking about how much there was left. Mm -hmm. Really just have to get to the next spot because eat, eat more, eat hot food, let people help you. Like the experience of like suffering and then accepting help like at all the aid stations is huge, huge. Um, very motivating. They're all rooting for you. They're incredible. So, um, yeah, you just, you just have to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's crazy that you were really thinking about quitting and it was so early in the race. It was only at mile 90 and you persevered and you stuck it out. And, uh, yeah, it's like, don't quit before the miracle happens, you know, and you did not do that. So, Hats off to you. I mean, incredible. Uh, what was the last, like, I'm just picking a number, like the last 20 miles, like, um, was it, were you f- starting to, to smell the finish line or were you still just miserable or what was it like? Last 20 miles. So, so two of those, so, you know, 20 and 19 miles out there was, so there was an aid station at 18 and then from 18 to the end. Okay. So at 20, I was with my friend, Ben, um, and he actually has paced me at Havelina. So, mm-hmm. so I knew he was a good pacer, very encouraging. And I had gotten my running legs back and I was super stoked. There was a girl, um, this, this woman had met me. She like followed me on Instagram and she was down at the race, helping someone else. But she had, she had come, run up to me at the aid station at mile 18, like at the beginning of the race and said, Hey, it's Amanda. You know, I, I follow you. I just want to wish you good luck. And that was cool. But then on this last section, she had come up, she had driven up and parked because she had been, you know, following my progress as well. And she was like, Emily, it's Amanda again. Like we drove up here to, you know, hopefully to run into you and just, you're almost done. And that was incredible. I like couldn't believe that, you know, someone I didn't even know, like a stranger was, was like rooting for me like that. And right. would, you know, take, you know, their time to drive up there and just to root for me. And, and people do that. Like in these events, people do things like that. So that was cool. But 
my pacer, uh, you know, was encouraging and we started jogging a little bit and I was like, wow, it feels really good to jog. I think you can go faster. We started running and then about a mile out from the aid station, I start running faster, fast being like 12 minute miles, but mm-hmm. to me, that's different. right. So we run into this aid station. I am so pumped. And my pacer immediately peels off into the bushes and starts puking. <laughs> and all oh like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that like to me, it was kind of a victory because I felt bad, but at the same time I was like, yes, I feel good again. <laughs> um, and then I pick up Erica who's, so we're, you know, unicorn costume and that, um, it was funny because again, so the cook at that aid station wearing this like frilly he's like this tall dude wearing a frilly apron he had been at mile 18 and when I rolled into mile 18 I was maybe a little bit um what's the word arrogant and I like rolled up and I was like hey what's going on I was promised there would be suffering and and this guy was also the cook at that aid station on day one and he goes come talk to me at mile 220 so there he is I see him he's cooking at the aid station at mile 220 so I walk right up to him and I'm like, Hey, I don't know what's going on. I was promised there would be suffering. <laughs> and we just all start laughing because like the truth is we know it's been off. Like, of course there's been suffering, yeah. but it just felt so good to be at that point again. Mm-hmm. Um, so Erica and I take down or take off down the trail and it's, that's the last aid station. The next one is the finish line. And we're, um, on this beautiful section called porcupine rim. Um, just above Moab and there's, it's just way up high on the slick rock. It's all like mountain bike trails, um, with stunning views. Um, and we, you know, run through sunset into the, into the dark and it, you know, the first like nine miles go by pretty quickly. And then it's like, okay, there's still nine more. And time is so weird in, in those distances because some miles just kind of tick off really quickly. And then some seem like they take forever. Um, and it's got dark and it got a little bit colder and I started to get tired, but it was just like, man, you're so close. And even the last three miles, I think the phrase I repeated the most was like, I just want it to be over. I just kept saying that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then maybe half a mile from the finish line, there was this little pedestrian bridge. And I said to Erica and I was like, Hey, Erica, like, cause they, they know they watch your GPS, you're wearing a spot device and they watch to see when all the runners are approaching the finish line so they can ring the cowbells and cheer and all that. And I'm like, what if we just sat down on this bridge and fucked with them and just like had a little picnic for a little while and they'll just like not know what's going on. They're, they'll be like, she stopped. We don't know why. Right. Um, we didn't do that, but uh, anyway. And then I saw a snake. I really wanted to see a snake the whole race. I didn't, they said it was too cold. And in the last mile, Erica was like, Emily, there's a snake. Wow. So I, got to see that but um yeah and and the finish line yeah and what was that finish line like was it really gratifying or how were you were you just glad it was over or were you present and just soaking it up it was uh it was emotional I ran I sprint I dead sprinted I gave Erica no warning um I just we we came down the hill and then you do this like u-turn through the, the timing, there was like a, a timing um, gate. And then after the timing gate is like the big destination trail, like uh, arch. Mm-hmm. So after the timing thing, I just, I stopped and walked the last few steps, like through the arch. I just wanted to like, just kind of soak it in. And I mm-hmm. had this kind of idea in my head that I would like almost walk through the arch and then turn around and start walking back and be like, I'm going to go run around the other way. 
but uh, I, yeah, I just, I walked through and just, it felt very odd to be finally relieved of this enormous pressure. I turned to Erica and just hugged her. Um, my crew was all there. I hugged all of them. Um, someone asked what I wanted. I said beer. They didn't have any. Um, but one of my friends from Bend had a friend in Moab and she was like, dude, my friend's about to finish this race. You got to go bring her beer. So he did complete nice. stranger. Um, <laughs> that amazing. And then, uh, um, they had pizzas for the runners. So someone handed me a pepperoni pizza, which was also amazing. Um, I got to pick up my buckle. Um, it was kind of a blur. We sat down and hung out by the fire for a little while and, um, I like kind of hobbled around a little bit. Right. It was like five, 10 o'clock at night. Um, we watched a couple other runners come in and finish. And, uh, and that was it just abruptly. Like it's, it's over. It's over. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there a celebration like, you know, after you got some sleep or did you have a celebratory meal or, um, anything crazy afterwards or was it just sleep? I, so I slept, but I only slept about seven hours. My one friend splurged on a hotel room so that I could sleep comfortably. Um, I had to go, Jolly was boarded down there. So I had to go the next morning and pick him up, um, from the, from the veterinary clinic where he was. Um, so I slept, um, we went out to, I went with my crew to breakfast the next morning, um, at the Moab diner, we ordered like appetizer entrees and regular entrees of course um i finished food off of their plates um (laughs) we went down to the finish line and watched more people finish which was hugely gratifying i talked to some of the runners that i recognized that i had spent miles with um that was super fun that's where there was this one runner katie she was one of the girls that i was like sort of rivalry in a rivalry with, uh, but not really. And she's super awesome. She's the, she's the one who encouraged me to do Tahoe. So it's her fault that I entered the lottery. Ah. Um, but, uh, it was, it was really fun to go down there and, and yeah, I said goodbye to my pacers then and headed back to, um, to Salt Lake city to my friend, Alex and Kelsey's house, uh, where my car was Mm. and, uh, spent the night there and hung out with their kids and, um, and then drove back to Bend the next day. Yeah. And somewhere in there, you signed up for another lottery for, you said Tahoe? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, how quickly this appears and you're just like, just the, the most amazing people you get to hang out with and yeah. see these beautiful places. And Tahoe is mostly single track too. And I love that area. And I would love to, I mean, I, I would love to run around Tahoe. I haven't yet. So I'm like, what a great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Not, the lottery's at the end of this month. It's not guaranteed, but we'll yep. see. Yeah. I have it, a backup. If, if, so. if it's meant to happen, <laughs> it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congrats. What a incredible journey. Um, I'm so inspired and impressed and, uh, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. And, um, I, I'm curious, I can't wait to hear about Javelina. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear about if, if you actually do it. If I go, I'm really on the fence right now, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have my next race is in February to actually train for. So, um, you know, within a couple of weeks, I'll be back at like an actual training plan again. So mm. what it's race easy. is that? Um, it's the, uh, black Canyon hundred K, yeah, nice. um, down in Phoenix. Um, cool. I ran it last 
there. So this will be, if I don't do Javelina again, this will be the first race that I'm like legitimately repeating. Mm -hmm. And it went really well last year. I just had a really awful recovery afterwards. My body kind of freaked out and that's the only time it's ever done that. So I'm hoping, um, to like improve upon last year. Um, and it's just, it also draws a lot of big names because it's a golden ticket race for Western States. So it's cool to be running a race with, with other like elite athletes and it's a great course. Um, and Phoenix in February, it's a great escape from bend. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Well, do me a favor and like, listen to your body before you go to Javelina, like really get in tune and listen to your heart and do what, you know, do the right thing. I don't know about you, but after races, I always get a little dip in my mood swings. Like I get a little bit depressed a couple days after the race. And it usually kind of takes a couple days to work out of. Did you experience anything like that? Yeah. So I, I definitely do. I get some, a pretty down, a pretty big low, mm-hmm. um, after, after races or any big, like, like an FKT or anything like that. I'll get low and I have to be careful that I don't keep, I mean, just like a drug, like keep seeking out more and more. Um, it's really hard to rest and my body hasn't feeling good. I actually, I ran like five miles this morning and, um, I've been running the past few days, but, uh, yeah. And that's more of just feeling, like you said, feeling it out and trying to just be active for my mood, but not overdo it. Um, I had like, I mean, I spent, um, I spent this like past weekend with some really special people and just was really like, you know, my mind was preoccupied and, um, you know, distracted and just kind of easing back in. I didn't go back to work right away. I go back on Wednesday. Hmm. So just kind of taking some time to relax and kind of, you know, go back into the world where like, well, nobody really cares. You're running ultras, right? Just, and just, I mean, really, I mean, and it's crazy to have so many people rooting for you and it's this huge thing you know, a few days later, everything's back to normal and mm-hmm. you just have to love your life as it is. So, um, yeah, so I've just, I've had that kind of on my mind and just, you know, doing the things that keep me happy and, um, and, and just feeling good. Yeah. Um, so that's been helpful. Good. It sounds like you're in the right place and you're in a good place. So <laughs> good for you. Um, Emily, where can people find you? Is it mainly just Instagram? Yeah. I mean, I'm on Facebook too, which is pretty much just a regurgitation of everything that I post to Instagram. It's posted there. So my family can see it. Um, but yeah, Facebook is for families, right? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) But it's, um, no, my Instagram is Emily in dot the wild. So Emily in period the wild. Um, yeah. And I'm there. I post a lot because I write a lot and that's, that's why I post. So I've been doing lots of recaps of you know, some specific memories from the race and, but there's all my mountain climbing adventures and lots of jolly. So perfect. Yeah. You got to have dogs in those mountain pictures. That's, that's the best right there. Well, Emily, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. And it's been inspiring and, uh, I can't wait to see what's in your future. So, um, keep it up. (laughs) Oh man. I had a blast and, uh, pet jolly for me. He looks like just a big sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks a lot. Have a great day. We'll see you. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. You guys, what did you think? Give me a shout. Let me know. Remember to subscribe, like share review. We are on Patreon as do big things. That is patreon.com slash do big things. Follow us and support us there. 
I can't keep this thing going without you guys. For the price of a cup of coffee, you can support us for a whole month. Thank you so much to all of our supporters. I love you guys. We want to thank our sponsors. First of all, Exoskin. They make a full range of apparel from hats to socks and everything in between. Exoskin is the only seamless athletic apparel brand that is made in the U.S. Their stuff is tremendous at providing protection from chafing, blisters, hot spots, and odor. If you're into anything outdoors and you haven't bought any of their stuff, you are slipping, Jack. Their shorts, socks, shirts, and hats have been through some of the most challenging and rigorous races in the world. And they stand behind their products with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you wear it and you're not convinced, send it back for a full refund so you have nothing to lose. Check them out, exoskin.us. Use our promo code BTC, all caps, for Big Things Crewing. And that is a 15% promo code, you guys. This podcast is also brought to you by On Pace Wellness. Will Benitez is working with some of the finest athletes around, and he's helping them find even more success. Will's a certified nutritionist, and he knows what's what when it comes to diet and nutrition. You want to take your game to the next level? Contact On Pace Wellness. Maybe you're not an elite athlete, and you just want to be healthier and feel better on the day-to-day. Maybe you just need a little guidance. Contact On Pace Wellness. Mention this podcast, and he's going to give you a 10% discount and get you properly tuned up for success. Last but not least, this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Brewing, the finest non-alcoholic craft beer on the market. Have yourself a tasty beer or two without all the negative side effects. You can have one in the middle of the day, not have to worry about driving. You can have a couple at night, not have to worry about being groggy in the morning. There's no hangover with this stuff because there is no alcohol. Check out athleticbrewing.com. Use my discount code, McRobertsA20, all caps, for 20% off the best non-alcoholic beer around. Buy two six-packs or more, and you don't have to worry about shipping costs. Enjoy the taste without the hangover. Remember, guys, life is short. Do big things, baby. Pedro. Take us for a run.